Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This evening we're going to be in 2 Kings 22. And the last time we looked at, unfortunately, two evil kings, Manasseh and his son Ammon. But at least Manasseh, at the end of his life, repented and truly turned to the Lord. That was, a, that was great. Um, unfortunately, we've been going through a lot of the kings, and just a lot of them were bad, and the wickedness, and people following in their footsteps. And then when you had a good king come along, it was hard to turn the people around. It didn't happen right away. Um, so this is what sin does. Today we're going to look at the last good king before the southern kingdom falls to the Babylonians, and that's King Josiah, who is the son of Ammon. And we're going to look at this in six parts. So if we, we can look at image one, the list of the kings, we can see that on the left-hand side is the kings of Israel, and on the right-hand side, the kings of Judah. So here is Josiah. He's the fifth king from the last Unfortunately, these guys were bad, and then the Babylonians take over. So that's what's going on. So jumping in in verse 1, in 2 Kings 22, verse 1 and 2, it says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother, uh, his name was Jedidah, <laughs> the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. So one out of six is a spiritual evaluation of Josiah. Josiah becomes king at eight, probably because his father Ammon got assassinated two years into his reign. He was a bad person. But Josiah probably had a good mom and had some good mentors. And he's one of the few kings in all of the kings that the Bible says was good. Right? He was good, a good man. Uh, and that's why I named my son Josiah, because I was so taken by King Josiah that I just had to do it. <laughs> I had a, we had a boy and, and girl name picked out, but we had a boy, so we called him Josiah. And, uh, you know, on a personal note, I've always told my son, and you can ask him after the service, I've always said, I don't care what you do for a living. I don't care how much money you make. I just want you to be a man of God. So you ask him if I've said that probably about a hundred times already. And that really should be our, the desire. All of us should have that desire for our kids. All right, so what? They make a million dollars a year. What if they're eternally lost? Okay, when this is right, when we get this right, everything else is right too. And this is one of those instances, a lot of really neat lessons in here where Josiah had a horrible father <laughs> and a really rotten grandfather until the end of his life. However, and the, and the nation was going apostate, but Josiah, the apple did fall far from the tree. And I try to encourage people with that. They get down on themselves. And I've heard people say about their family and just things they were involved in, all these bad things in their family line. But you can be that individual like Josiah that breaks free from that you know, progression of foolishness, so to speak, um, so, you know, the apple can fall far from the tree. Just if we could jump to Second Chronicles 34. Second Chronicles 34, starting with verse 3, because this is a parallel scripture. 
These are the early forms of jo- reforms of Josiah. Now check it out. He's a king at eight years old, but in the eighth year of his reign, so Josiah is 16 years old. He's a teen. While he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David, and in the twelfth year, at 20 years old, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, the molded images. They broke down the altars of the Baals in his presence, and the incense altars which were above them he cut down, and the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images he broke in pieces and made dust of them and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. That was a way to defile, kind of like their burial. Pretty pretty powerful stuff here. Uh, he also burned the bones of the priests on their altars. So I, he must have exhumed the bodies, and he took their bones that were left, and he burned them um, and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. So he did in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, as far as Naphtali, and all around with axes. When he had broken down the altars and the wooden images, had beaten the carved images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. So he's two out of six. These are the early reforms of Josiah. Now, Josiah grew up without a father, right? He grew up in a wicked culture and a bad environment, but it didn't stop him from seeking the Lord at 16 years old. So a lot of people make excuses today and you hear all these things in the news and poor this and poor that. You know what? We're responsible for our actions, right? It doesn't matter. Bad family line, bad environment. You can still turn to the Lord and have a personal relationship with Him. And I think that's the awesome thing. At age 20, he institutes some major reforms. Understand that it, these weren't popular. Oh, you were the king, so you had power. So people did what you said or they didn't stop when the army was coming through busting up all these demonic idols but it wasn't popular you know judah was becoming just as apostate as the northern kingdom it was pretty bad right and it just shows too that at any age we can rededicate or dedicate our lives to the lord and better sooner than later first kings 13 i'm just going to go through a few quick verses because i tell you when you put all the parallel scriptures together you, you really see the picture this was a few hundred years before Josiah was even born. And this was when Jeroboam of the northern kingdom, really, really bad king, wicked. It says, in the middle of his wickedness, it says, Behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, Thus says the Lord, Behold, a child, Josiah by name, remember, a few hundred years before he's born, shall be born to the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall split apart, and the ashes on it shall be poured out. And these things happen. So here was a prophecy of Josiah before he's even born that he's going to institute these reforms and really defile the graves of the people who did these demonic practices. Interesting. You know, can't say that God doesn't warn. He always warns. He, you know, isn't, he's always warned his people. He warns us in Scripture. And it's, it's uh, incumbent upon us to take those warnings, to heed them, and, and do the right thing and turn around. So, uh, this is really even... Again, you, you can read the scripture quickly or you can really study it. Um, if we could put up the map of the tribes of Israel. So Josiah doesn't just hang out in the southern kingdom. 
if you look at the map, you have Judah really and Benjamin were technically the southern uh, kingdom, and you had all the northern kingdoms. So Josiah doesn't just kind of hang out here and do his thing. He goes to Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, and Naphtali, right? He goes all the way up north, and here's the Sea of Galilee, or at the time it was called the Sea of Chenereth. Actually, today, Israel, this is the, the uh, Golan Heights up here. He goes all the way up north and institutes these reforms. Him and his men are just going through the land, finding these pagan altars and just busting them up. I mean, I think it's remarkable. And what's more remarkable is that the northern kingdom at the time was, was being controlled by Assyria. So Josiah goes out of his, his jurisprudence, um, he goes out of his jurisdiction, excuse me, uh, to keep going north and go as far as he can, instituting these reforms. You know, he's, he's looking at his wayward brothers and sisters who have gone apostate long, long ago, and he's helping them too. He institutes these, this great Passover, and the northern kingdom really kind of gets jazzed up, and they get on board with Josiah. And we're going to cover him, you know, as, as what is people in the Bible. Some of the women in the Bible that I was like, really, I just love their character, some of the men. But when we really get into this King Josiah, he really tried to do a lot. But you know, it only took like one or two generations after him for everybody to screw it up all over again. Pretty sad. Um, You know, we can look at our country, uh, some of the things that are going on, and some of the people that try to do the right thing. There's just such a heavy bureaucracy that is kind of really set against the Lord's ways. And I think of Psalm 2, you know, and the kings of the earth and the the nations will will uh, thumb their nose at God, and God eventually is going to have his way in the world, regardless of the elites and the globalists. And, uh, but it's, you can see a lot of parallels. Verse 3, continuing on, let's go back to Second Kings 22. It says, Now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan the scribe, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people, and let them deliver it into the hand of those doing the work, who are the overseers in the house of the Lord. Let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord, doing the work to repair the damages of the house, to carpenters and builders and masons, and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. However, there need be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hand, because they deal faithfully. Really powerful verse in 7, which I'm going to get to. But 3 out of 6 is the temple is repaired. Why is God's house in disrepair? Now remember, the temple, you know, you can kind of look at this church building. The temple was really, really big. It had very high ceilings. It was ornate. It had uh, cedar timbers and gold. and It was gorgeous. And then in that back room was the Holy of Holies where the the priest would come and sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice right over the mercy seat. And God said, I will dwell there physically. Pretty impressive. However, there was a lot of neglect in God's house, in the temple. And there was also a lot of furniture that was brought in that was pagan in origin from some of these wicked kings. Um, And it was a problem. However, Josiah was living in a nice palace, and in his conscience, he couldn't hang out in his palace, probably with a lot of the luxury, and look over at the temple, maybe when he took a walk, and said, man, God's house is looking pretty crummy, and I'm paraphrasing. 
So Josiah, is he shows initiative. He gets together. He's getting some of his officials. He's delegating authority. We have to fix the house of the Lord. And you can make parallels today, too. Do people care about the place that they come together to worship? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm, I'm speaking to my Wednesday night crew, which is awesome. You guys don't just want to come on Sunday, but... You see, you know, in Europe, you see even in America, like churches fall into disrepair. They fall into neglect. And if there's people there that can tithe, that can help, that can fix things, that could give, that's really a shame. It really is. And how many times has God said this in in his word, right? With the prophets, you people living in your paneled homes and my house is falling apart. God's speaking through his prophets. Do we care about the state of the church building or buildings, the grounds? Do we care about serving? Do we care about giving? You know? You, you, the people here on Wednesday night, you know what we're all about at Calvary. We're kind of a lot of times on the other extreme where a lot of these churches are always asking for money. We're, we barely ever talk about it. However, we would be doing a disservice to the body if we didn't talk about it when the Bible talks about it. So I'm going to talk about it. You know what I'm saying? This place is not mine. (laughs) I don't own it. None of the pastors or elders own it. This is the house of the Lord. You know, it's not the temple, but we come here to to worship. You know, I mean, sometimes people tease me because I have eagle eyes and I get out of my car and I could see a I could see a cigarette butt at 100 yards in the grass. You know what I'm saying? It just that's just how I feel. That's just how I was taught to take care of God's house. So I'm blessed to see, I see some of you that just do, you're just a blessing to the church and just give of your free time to help out. But, you know, do we care? Do we give? Do we serve? You know, these are questions that we have to ask because a lot of churches fall into disrepair. And quite frankly, it's a shame. It really is. When I look at verse 7, this is amazing because he doesn't even ask the men who are handling the money. Like They get the money and he trusts them to go do the repairs. And he says, why, did, why does this happen? Because they deal faithfully. Now that's a blessing too. And any, you, know, you see on the news every once in a while a pastor or a, a church official or a treasurer you know, just some ugly stain about you know, hiding money or misusing money. That's, it's horrible. And then and then non-believers see it. Now, what do they think about Christians and church? But it's such a blessing to any church when you have faithful men and women who aren't shoving cash in their pockets. You know, they're, they're accounting for every quarter or nickel or dime or so often. So, you, again, you can see the parallels here. It's, it's very powerful. Continuing on, verse 8, it says, Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law, and the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. So Shaphan the scribe went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servant has gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the scribe shows, showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. So for the book of the law or God's word up to that point, what which, which was written by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was found. Wow, God's word, Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Numbers and Exodus and Genesis. This is really good stuff. Now, check this out. In Deuteronomy 31, it says that the book of the law 
was supposed to be besides the Ark of the Covenant, which was in the house of the Lord. Okay, Deuteronomy 17 that said each king was supposed to have his personal copy of God's Word. And Deuteronomy 31 said that this was supposed to be read, the book of the law, right, at the Feast of Tabernacles every so, uh, so many years. In addition to that, the Levites, their sole job was to teach. They were like ministers. They went around Israel and they taught and they memorized God's Word. So how the heck was God's Word lost in this time period? Well, I have an answer for you. It's the same reason that many churches today don't use God's Word anymore. Now, you can go into some churches, they don't even have Bibles. Some, they have Bibles, but they never open it up from the pulpit. Joel Osteen, I like to pick on him because he's an easy target, but it's, I'm not saying anything that's not true. I painfully watch some of his sermons. And he waves his Bible around and sings a song and he closes it. And that's the last time anything about God's Word is touched with him. And I've unfortunately had to read portions of his book. And it's just a reference to a scripture. I mean, it's so anemic. Like you're, you're hungering for God's Word. So churches today don't use God's Word anymore, many of them. It's worldly pressure. Um, well, they're being made fun of by the media. Maybe they don't know their word that well. Um, there's a lot of different reasons. You know, buying into pop psychology, trendiness, it's not relevant. The, the word of God is the living word, and it lasts forever, the Bible says. Right? Jesus said every jot and tittle will be fulfilled. So if we actually put up image two and read Second Timothy, Second uh, <laughs> Timothy... 4, 3 through 4. Okay, we'll do that. We'll read 2 Timothy first. It says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. And if we could put up the image, and this is where we are today. Um, People want to have their ears tickled. They literally search for teachers. They teacher shop to find somebody that's going to tell them what they want to hear. And it's kind of funny that I, I came across this, <laughs> Bibles are us, and the guy's like, can I get a customized Bible geared specifically for the way I want to live? Right? And, and you can see that today. They'll, what do they have, the Queen James Version now, and genderless Bibles, and all kinds of crazy stuff. You know, we'll, we'll, whatever your lifestyle is, we'll take away things that offend you so you can kind of read it and feel comfortable with it. It's, the, the last few translations have been kind of kooky. Um, and you, you, there's really nothing in there. There's no power because it's not the Word of God anymore. It's been completely sanitized. So you can see parallels in our society. Europe, you know, I know those that have got, been in Europe, whether it be England or other places, talk about becoming post-Christian. It's really scary. Right, the the, uh, the the Reformation and and the Gutenberg printing press and everybody was going to get a Bible in their own language and now England is a lot of their churches are dying, doors have closed, they've sold their buildings to mosques. Where's Christianity in England? Where, what's happening here in our country? Definitely a culture war. But <laughs> well, Pastor Joe, I'm really not getting off the subject because this was what was going on in Josiah's times. And Josiah said, you know what? I have the authority and the power to stop this. I have the authority and the power to start turning the tide to try to turn the ship around. And we'll see how God responds to that. right? But hey, the church 
in America is supposed to set the spiritual tone for the nation. But if churches are not reading the Bible, if they don't have the law, if they don't know the law, then how are we going to make a difference in this society? Sadly enough, a lot of people think it's the politicians. Well, if I vote this way, then there's going to be this reform and that reform, and this law will be changed. But the churches are supposed to be doing the job of prayer and, and, and discipling people and, and getting people to know their word. So you can see a direct parallel here, right? Many revivals over the years have happened just by becoming Bible literate, just by people reading the Bible, understanding what it says. And I see new believers sometimes, and they come to me, and they read something for the first time, and they're like children that got a piece of chocolate. They're like so excited, and I get excited. You know what I'm saying? Because you see that fruit. And Josiah here, he sought the Lord... And God enlightened him through his word. And that's the thing. If we have a heart after God and we seek the Lord, he'll enlighten us as well. Right? He'll, he'll give us wisdom. He'll give us guidance. Verse 11, continuing on. It says, Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Akbor the son of Mishaiah, Shaphan, the scribe, and Isaiah, the servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me. I want to know for the people and for all of Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. He, he was reading God's word, the promises, also the consequences of not being faithful. And he knew what was going on in his own kingdom. And he put the two of them together and said, Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> Guys, let's get together. You know, and he didn't waste any time. Go find a prophet. Inquire of the Lord for me because the way I read this, we're in trouble. Our society is in trouble. So Hilkiah, the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan, and Isaiah went to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe, she dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke with her. So five out of six is the repentance of Josiah. Now, if you're following along with us on Sunday morning, we're in the book of Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, which is fabulous, which is so exciting. And from what I understand about Isaiah's life and his age, he should have been here. But there was one small problem. He was killed under Manasseh's reign which was Josiah's grandfather, right? So Isaiah should be here, right? He was there for uh, Hezekiah, um, other kings, and he's not here. Now, when we look at a timeline of the different prophets and when they ministered, Jeremiah and Zephaniah were ministering around this time, but they find Hulda. The Holy Spirit sends them to Hulda, the prophetess, a lady. Just a little aside here. Because the revisionist historians in academia will tell you that the Bible is anti-woman and all these stupid things. I actually, through some of my college students, I offer to, to debate some of these professors. I, I want to get into it with them. But uh, if you go back into the Scripture, there's a long line of women in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, that have pretty much saved the day. I'll give you a short list here. Miriam, Moses' sister. Isaiah's wife. She also prophesied. Anna, Abigail, Mary, Philip's four prophesying daughters, Phoebe the deaconess, and also Chloe, 
of Corinth who alerted the Apostle Paul of the nightmare situation that was happening in the Corinth church. Hey, <laughs> you got to get over here. This is bad. So uh, Deborah, the military leader, right? Because Barak was supposed to do it, but he was a coward. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, so you can read into it whatever you want. But God didn't use uh, big names in this particular situation. Zechariah 4.10 says not to despise the small things. And here you have God saying, let's go to Hulda. And it was really cool because you actually sometimes read about a man of God or a woman of God and they don't have a name. Unsung heroes, but they were obedient. You know, God didn't, and you see this sometimes in Christianity. In order for it to be effective, we always have to go big. We have to spend a lot of money. We have to get big name people to come here. Really? What is, what are we, Hollywood? You know, and a lot of these ministries, they don't, if they don't do something big and expensive, they don't do it at all. And that's sad. You know, how many people knew Hulda back then? They probably definitely knew Jeremiah, but they went to Hulda. So, um, again, this is, God is, is good. He doesn't, he's not a respecter of persons, right? So what does Josiah do when he actually reads God's word? A, he tears his clothes, which were probably expensive. He was the king. But tearing his clothes were a sign of grief and repentance. He knew what the culture of, was doing. Now, here's the thing. He didn't say, well, hey, at 16, I made a profession of faith. I'm good. Those, they're, God, just deal with this rotten people. He tore his own clothes. He, he was grieved. Not only, listen, I don't care how close you are to God, we're still sinners, right? He was concerned about the nation. He was concerned maybe about some of the things he did. But he also... Uh, became somewhat of an intercessor, like Nehemiah and many other awesome men and women of God, right? Even uh, um, remember Abigail and Nabal. Uh, her husband was an idiot. He was a fool. That's what his, his name means. She actually interceded for his life. You know what I'm saying? So you see a lot of intercession going on. You know what, Lord? In Moses interceded for the people. Good stuff here, right? Now, check it out. He reads the word and all of a sudden pluralism was wrong when, it, when you become Bible literate. And, and you see that today. People come in, doesn't matter, you believe, I believe, this, that, and the other thing. Pluralism. We can believe two completely uh, contradictory things and it's fine because that's the society we live in. Josiah read the Bible, he read God's word, and immediately pluralism became wrong and God's word became the highest authority. Because I'm sure there was a lot of pluralism in that land. You know, hey, you worship Bel, I'll worship Dagon. You know, let's worship all these gods. It's okay, you got your God, I got my God. Josiah was like, wait a minute, this is really God, like the real God, and we have to stop. B, he orders his staff to find someone to inquire of the Lord. What does the Lord want us to do? And as believers today, what do we do? Well, the, the God has sealed us as believers with the Holy Spirit, so we're never alone. Right? We pray, we read God's word, and that's how we inquire of the Lord. It was a little bit different back then. It was a different dispensation. Right? They went through the prophets. They went through you know, the certain system. Today, the Bible says we, we go right to the Lord. Right? We have the Holy Spirit as well. We're never alone. And C, he was very concerned about impending judgment. Um, and by his actions, he staved off this judgment that was coming because of the wickedness that was going on for so many years. You know, is that us? You know, when it comes to inter, intercession, do we, and, and Christians can get caught up in this, you know, the Christian culture. We're so busy. 
We're just concerned about our lives and, and our immediate family. Are we concerned about our culture? Are we concerned about our leaders? Are we concerned about our neighbors? You know, sometimes as Christians in New Jersey, we can be so hurried that we just are tempted to look out for ourselves, and, and that's wrong, right? This culture needs intercessors too, because one day the Lord's going to come, and it isn't going to be pretty for those that are not in the Lord. Last few verses, 15 through 20. It says, Then she said, Hulda, says to the men, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, which was Josiah, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. All the words of the book which the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Two messages here. Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have heard. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, said the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place. So they brought word to the king. Six out of six is the prophecy of blessing. There's going to be judgment. It's going to come. Unfortunately, Josiah's kids were not like him. You know, they went the way of all flesh. Um, the people, a lot of went back to their old ways, and God had to bring the Babylonians to humble them. Thus Habakkuk comes in, the prophet Habakkuk comes into the picture then, right? In that situation. But um, the coolest thing is that God sees the heart. We could be fooled by outward appearances, but God never is. Josiah was humble, he was passionate, he was a lot of things, and God saw right into his heart. It could have been a show, but God knew the truth. Your heart was tender, no pretense. And the question is, do we have a heart for the Lord? You know? I like to be real because I always say this, pretense and is a very hard thing to maintain. Uh, trying to pretend you're something so great has got to be a lot of work, and I don't have time for that. So um, I sin just like everybody else here. I need to repent just like everybody else here. And, uh, and I tell you what, I do pray for my country because I see things that are very disturbing. Um, I think we should all be interceding for our, our country because I think Billy Graham said that if God doesn't judge the United States, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. A lot of bad things going on in this, in this country, in this world. But a, world, a word on leadership. When you look at Hezekiah, excuse me, well, when you look at Hezekiah, in addition to Josiah, in addition to Isaiah that we've been covering on Sunday, they weren't lazy. They were proactive. Leaders need to be proactive. And I could tell you, lazy pastors, lazy clergy, just sign a death sentence to their churches. You know, the status quo, let's not make waves, let's not get too excited about the word. Um, they got to be proactive, both spiritually and physically. 
right? There's a lot in here. Physical things Josiah did and spiritual things that Josiah did. Right? They took steps to solve problems, often in, in advance. And those that were under them were blessed by their behavior and spared pain and agony, right? What do we read about the bad kings? The misery that the evil kings caused the people. Even the good ones, the good people, the remnants, suffered under the evil kings. But a good king who was an intercessor, things started to turn around, at least temporarily. Josiah sought the Lord on his own. He was determined proactively to root out idolatry. He was determined to fix God's house and care for it, not just look at it and go, oh, it's a shame, doesn't look so good these days, could use a coat of paint. He actually did something about it. He repented for himself and interceded for his nation. He also reinstituted, and we're going to go into some detail in the next few chapters, feasts, festivals, rites that God had commanded. He destroyed things that were evil, and and he went (laughs) as far as the northern kingdom to do that. I submit to you that we need more Josiahs in our day. Perhaps some are here tonight. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.